Hello and welcome to season three, episode four of Duelist Unity. I am everything, but we'll be playing the part of Andrew today. And I am the voice of an insight that is growing within the awareness of our listener and Andrew, because all of us are just like thoughts within our collective awareness. We are all growing, changing, evolving, and interacting with one another to form a new overall general perception. And so I can't express how excited I am, not just about the fact that I obviously have a new microphone, because I want to share that with everybody. You might notice the difference in sound, um, but also just at all of the new faces that we've been seeing in the group chats, all of the new uh, members in our Discord, all of the new contacts that I've been receiving in social media. I've heard some great success stories recently, and I just want to express my gratitude for everybody going out of their way to share those with me, because I love seeing your progress. I love hearing your brilliant concepts come out in the way that you express them in a way that I can't express them or don't express them. I love the fact that you're making ripples where perhaps you didn't feel comfortable doing that before. And even if you don't feel comfortable, that's amazing that you're doing it because it makes a difference. Keep doing it and keep telling me about it because that's what this is all about. This season is all about collaboration and working together and just pushing the ripple that we are already embodying. So on that note, I'll pass it off to Andrew. I know we have a lot to talk about. We don't have a guest this time around, but uh, we will sprinkle in some announcements throughout this episode, but we're more or less just going to deep dive and try and sum up everything we've been learning in the last couple of episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to echo all of that, I'm really appreciative of everyone here who's on the journey of, of questioning and the journey, you know, nowhere because you're already there just in case you've forgotten. But for those who do, I know Ray usually makes all the announcements, but for those who do want to be a little bit more involved in things, we do have Patreon and we do have so much on there. And especially my favorite part is the uh, basically weekly group chats at this point, depending on your tier, you get three to four a month. So if you're interested in this conversation, if you've really been enjoying the podcast if you're staying up to date like if you're on this episode and you've listened to all the others definitely join us on patreon the lowest tier is five bucks a month like it's probably the best five dollars you'll ever spend in your entire life especially if you're interested in this conversation um so I've, i have a few things that i've been chewing on for the last week or so i don't know if i want to start with getting super deep or with some religion related things. Um, I vote, let's just get into, into the deepness. So today I was thinking, and I've been thinking more about the recognition that reality or existence like just is like, I imagine it almost just like a, a tapestry with, with no bounds and things like space and time are ways that we perceive this tapestry, but it's just a blank tapestry. There aren't actual aspects of time that are the truth. There aren't aspects of space that are the truth. Everything is just like this interconnected reality and we perceive it however we would like or however we do, but it isn't, it, it's just like everything is fully and entirely connected. And we only perceive the division, whether it's space or time. And I tripped a couple of weeks ago and sort of saw all of this and, and saw time as like 
like lifted off of the tapestry and just something that we're able to perceive moment to moment, but it's only an aspect of the perception of that sort of blank canvas and any perception between myself and anything else is just a perception. It's like on the entire tapestry, I'm just like my two eyeballs are sticking out of it and I'm seeing the rest of it, but there isn't anything that's actually disconnected from me. So I've just been chewing on that all day today and for the last couple of weeks and just like how everything just is like everything is, is essentially blank or full or everything and nothing that, that whole thing. And just seeing it in that way, it's been fascinating. And it's just our perception of that blank canvas that is our individual realities, but you know, it differs for everyone, but it's, it just is at the end of the day. So I wanted to get into that to start. <laughs> wow. You really know how to start it off on a light note, right? Um, yeah. Reality continues to, uh, I guess, leave me awe-inspired day by day because reality just is, which is fine. Sure. And if you lack imagination, you might go, oh, okay. And you might picture, say, the solar system or many solar systems or the universe or, or, or many galaxies within the universe. Maybe you'll even envision more than one universe and go, see, all of that is, is what is. The fact that you can imagine all of that is exactly why it's important to remember that imagination is not imagination. Imagination is our access to the infinite of what is, right? the all and everything that could be is within our imagination. So this is why it's so difficult to have this conversation because what we're talking about is a different way of looking at the universe, is a different way of experiencing the universe. It's more of an internal journey than an external journey. I would say it's far more of an internal journey than an external journey because you have to abandon the perception of a physical universe in order to start accessing your deeper sense of intuition, in order to start accessing the things that your logical brain, your narrative brain would tell you aren't possible, right? And that's how you find yourself in alignment with, with events perfectly according to the mentality that you're in, right? But we can't imagine that. There's no sense of control. There's no rigidity. There's no structure there. And so in order for us to appreciate the magnitude of what is, we have to almost embrace being crazy. Like we have to embrace a lack of walls, a lack of rigidity, a complete you know, lack of border, right? It's like a friend once said to me, he's like, oh, your pool is really deep. I'm like, my pool doesn't have walls. I'm just floating around in the void as it were, right? Like, because nothing is beyond questioning and nothing is beyond your imagination. It really just comes down to time and attention and the willingness to let go of what you think you know. Right. Somebody uh, responded to a TikTok video that I had made earlier today, and it was talking about life after death. And they were saying, well, I just, I just can't wait until I can travel through the cosmos, you know, floating by planets and, and, and astral projecting, essentially. And I responded, I'm like, time and space is of the living. Like, you can do that now, but if you're waiting to die, you're in for a bit of a shock because you need identity and the perception of division to do any of that, right? So you have to start tapping into something that we are not tapping into, which is the realm of imagination, the realm of dreams, the realm of our 
conscious connection or, or the connection between the awareness of what is and the awareness that we're experiencing, right? And so there's a whole other world there. And this is why, again, we've talked about the idea of, of starting like a Jedi Academy or something like that in our world. And that is exactly what's necessary is something along the lines of what the Shaolin monks were practicing, what a lot of martial arts were practicing in the, in the uh, ancient times, especially which is actually what drove Bruce Lee to become the martial artist that he was. He actually wanted to bring back the martial art of legend. He wanted to bring back superhuman martial arts, like superhuman abilities. And that was the avenue that he was taking to try and get there, which is why everybody looks at Bruce Lee's reflexes and, and the fact that he was the strongest person in the world at one point, despite his size, right? Like you look at that and you go, maybe he was onto something. And he was a huge fan of Krishnamurti. In his book about Jeet Kune Do, The Way of the Intercepting Fist, is about your mentality being expressed in your martial art, that how you defend yourself is the most true reflection of the person you are compared to what we say we are or how we act in, in, in comfort, how we act when things are safe, that when you're in a fight, that's when you see who you are. And that was his whole philosophy. It was really quite good. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't know if I realized how much of a fan of Krishnamurti that Bruce Lee was. That's pretty cool, but it makes sense. Like what the little amount that I know about Bruce Lee and, you know, it's, it's a little bit, I've seen, you know, some videos, read some stuff and whatnot, but it makes sense, I guess. But it's interesting with all of these recognitions and even the idea of becoming, you know, a super powerful human and all of that stuff. Like everyone has this idea that they have to get somewhere in order to achieve it and they have to keep going and striving and all of that. And what I feel like I'm recognizing more and more is it's not anywhere else. Like these only come from going deeper into here and now, like deeper into where you are and letting go of the belief that you have to be anywhere else or get to anywhere else or achieve anything else than you already are. It's like, we, we think in order to become superhuman, we have to go outside of ourselves and, and gain all of this knowledge and acquire all of these skills. And it's like, while it may be the perception of having more skills, being superhuman, you already have all of them. Like you already are all of them and embody all of them. It's just our perception that we don't is what's stopping it. It's like we have all of these incredible capabilities, but it's our perception. It's our, it's our mind. It's the belief that we don't that stops us from recognizing it. The, the belief that we have to go somewhere outside of ourselves in order to accomplish those things because we have this idea. We cling to this idea of what we think we are. And that idea is always limited. And that idea oftentimes doesn't include any fucking superpowers, you know, if, if ever for anyone. And because it doesn't, we think we have to get it. And we think of ourselves almost like, I don't know where I'm going to about to go with this analogy, but it's like, we almost think of ourselves as a seed that has to grow into everything, or maybe, maybe like a magnet that has to acquire all of these external things. And that idea that we have to acquire all these things takes away from the recognition that we already have it 
within us. So the reality of what we are is closer to a seed that hasn't sprouted yet. Like inside of a tiny little, you know, acorn or or whatever is is a massive tree. But we have this idea that we're just the seed or we're just the acorn. And we have all of that inside of us. Everything, all of the things that we could ever imagine accomplishing or achieving or becoming are are within us. They're not, they don't have to be added to us. So as we let go and peel back all of the beliefs about what we think we are, we allow those things to sprout out, but it's only through questioning. It's not from attaching more from the external to us because we already are all of the external. But as long as you define yourself as something that isn't the external, you suppress the ability to sort of sprout because you have this idea of what you are as opposed to recognizing that you're already everything you could ever possibly be. So it's letting go, but our entire society is is confused into thinking that the greatest idea of success is becoming you know rich and famous, and that will inherently limit us from recognizing the true potential that we have in every single moment. So we have to let go of that. And like Jesus said, when the rich man asked if he could ever enter the kingdom of heaven, he was like, I don't know exactly what he said, but said basically like it would be tough because you're reaching outside of yourself, uh, trying to accomplish all of these external achievements, like these human levels of accomplishment or success. And it's almost like you have to let go of those because those stem from identity and what you believe that you are. So you have to let go of those in order to reach that full potential. Yeah, except, so here's the problem that I keep coming across because we talked about how we lack imagination and that's a very important part of all this and now I'm going to caution the listener before I continue on here that if you're not familiar with this show please go back to season one before continuing on in this conversation and if you can go and pick up the beyond belief workshop because let's just say that this is about to go into territory where you will have to suspend disbelief just for the the sake of having this conversation so if we take society out of it because there is no society and we don't look at how we're programmed or conditioned and we just look at you the reality of you that is all and everything that you've ever known and you come into the world and you're born as a human being right or the experience of a human being let's take the label out you're born as this fleshy meat bag that happens to be you know at at the whim of light and sound and all these these new sensations and all this stuff and you're learning to walk and you're learning all these limitations and you fall and you scrape your knee and now you're bleeding and you're having this experience of vulnerability and physicality. So more than anything society could ever do, that experience just hammered into you that you are a physical being in a world that is separate from you. More than anything that anybody could ever try and convince you of, that experience of hurting yourself reinforced the perception of division more than any programming ever could. And so when we're talking about superhuman abilities, which is a terrible way of putting it, when we're talking about the connection between the observer and the observed, blurring the line that doesn't exist, that we just perceive, then we have to start looking at the fact that how we perceive reality is the growth. It's not the physical body. It's not fitting into the world. 
It's our evolving perception of our relationship with reality. So, from, so for the seed to become the tree, the tree has to change how it perceives everything. And that's exactly what we're talking about. To get to this point, we have to move beyond the original assumptions that we made when we hurt our physical body. We actually have to realize there's more to this physical experience than just moving the meat suit around, that there's a flow happening and that in the right state of mind, you wouldn't trip. In the right state of mind, you would intuit something that's about to happen. In the right state of mind, you would be far more sensitive. And then how far does that go? How much can we affect the material reality? Is it material at all? If one knew that it wasn't material, would one scrape one's knee, right? Would we walk on water? Would we fear anything in the garden? Right? So it really just comes back down to seeing that the road is not this small, superficial, sad little journey that humanity has decided it is, that from birth to death, we just got to find a hole to get comfortable in and wait to die, right? There is a whole journey of a multidimensional, infinite awareness that can push the boundaries of what time and space means because it is the source of that experience. And we're not having that conversation. We're too busy talking about belief. We're too busy talking about astrology. We're too busy you know, looking at one another and blaming the corruption, right? We're too busy looking at ourselves as just puppets made of meat that are separate from one another, right? And until we get past that, then we can't really start adventuring into the great unknown, right? Which is really what this is all about. Yeah, like everything we do is limiting the potential that and every every idea that we cling to or thing going on and to sort of like bring our society back into it like it sort of reinforces those limitations and we've even settled on a peak that is probably you know 0.00001% of our true potential and striving for that peak almost takes us in the opposite direction and striving for these identity-based success, quote unquote, success metrics is inherently limiting our ability to reach our actual full potential. But we've gotten so conditioned into believing that like that is success, like that is success is, is doing those things. And even, yeah, I guess we're getting closer with some people's messages of, you know, happiness is the key to success or like doing what you enjoy in every single moment. But at the same time, like that is almost conditioned in a way because we have like these inherent beliefs about it. And it's still through our veil of what we think we are. And that's like the root of the way that we perceive everything is through our idea of ourselves. So that's why we're so relentless in this conversation of talking about identity and how it is the root, you know, what you think you are, the belief that, you know, if existence is a body, that you're just a finger or you're just a thumb, that belief is what is limiting to the ability to be that entire body, to influence the entire body, to influence the whole. And, and the idea of what we think we are ending at our skin limits our ability to have influence. So people, 
you know, with the argument, they say, well, you know, I'm me because I can move my hand and you can't move my hand and you can you move your hand and I can't move your hand. And it's like, is that statement right there the only thing limiting your ability to do any of that? Like that in and of itself is the limitation, the belief that that is the truth, the belief that that is fact. So that's why we question, you know, everything, because that's the only way to get through all the shit and all that belief and all that fog, you know, we settle on all of these ideas of the way things are and the way we think things should be and, and have all of these layered on judgments about everything, but it's, it's so limited and it's extremely limited to the idea and through the idea of what we think we are as this very limited being. So it's fascinating. Like what, what is possible as we continue having this conversation and letting go of the belief that we are just a thumb or we are just a finger on the body and, and recognize that, oh, there's more to this. You know, I'm not just this and let go of, of all those beliefs about the way we think things are and the way that we think we are, because that's the limitation. Are those beliefs, are those concepts, are those ideas that we cling to for a false sense of certainty in a reality that is completely uncertain in every single moment. But this whole dialogue changes everything. It changes how we perceive everything in terms of mental health, in terms of, of governance, in terms of everything, in terms of the economy. Because again, capitalism kind of goes hand in hand with greed, right? The less greed you have, the less need there is for capitalism, right? And so it, it really just comes down to accepting that we have to just admit like anybody, it's so funny how often we'll say, learn from your mistakes and then avoid doing so ourselves. But so a good example of this is this concept of masking. So an autistic person will tell you that they have to mask because otherwise they can't fit into society. And you could make the argument, everybody's doing that to some degree, to which they will say, but it's not causing them suffering. It's causing me suffering. And what I think is interesting there is that if you just change your perception a little bit, what you'll realize is that they're better off. The reason they're aware that they're suffering is because they're aware that they're masking. Everybody else who's doing it just because that's all they've learned to do, they're suffering too. They just don't know it. They don't know why. They don't see that they're masking. They don't understand that they're putting on a show. That's what this whole podcast is about. Trust me, if you're listening to this and you're on the spectrum and you think that masking is something that other people don't do, they do. Maybe they aren't aware of it. Maybe they, aren't, they don't understand that it's not natural for them to just form an identity and be that identity in front of different people because everybody else does it. But it's part of our society. It's part of what we do, right? And so if you're autistic and you have to mask, and that's uncomfortable for you, that's a good sign. That's a sign of awareness. That's a sign that you're aware the mask is the cause of your suffering. Now, if you can just let go of your opinion of the mask, of having to use the mask, you'll suffer even less. Because right now, we do have to use the mask to some degree. If only because the people around us who are doing it without being aware of it are very fragile. To not wear a mask would throw them all into disarray. And so out of compassion, 
more than out of a desire to fit in, we mask. We lessen the impact of exactly how much we are because they're fragile. Not because we're not going to fit in or they're not going to like us regardless, because it's not up to us for them to like us. It's not our responsibility if they don't appreciate you being straightforward. I was saying this to a TikToker who, who goes through this unfortunate problem with masking or trying to mask is that she doesn't pick up on social cues. And then people get upset with her like, well, that's not what I meant. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I was just being rhetorical. It's, it is not your problem if somebody else fails to communicate clearly. The fact that, they're, that they get upset that you didn't read their lack of clear communication properly is also not your problem, right? That's what I mean by that fragility. That's what I mean by the reason we mask is them. We're fine, right? In that state of mind where you understand masking is not what you really want to do, that's where you start to get wisdom. That's where you start to find alignment with what is if you can remove your opinion of it. Right. But this just goes to show that everything that we're looking at as a problem changes under the light of awareness and all of the crap that we pile on top of awareness, because it's that crap that's causing all our problems. And if we can just realize there is a common problem, there is a common thread to this, this complication, this idea of ourselves, this over this overcommitment to identification, if we can just get that then everything else starts to gradually change. We see it all the time. The less seriously you take yourself, the easier time you have getting along with everybody else. So if you just take that small example and scale it out to a whole society or a whole planet, you can see how easily we can change the world by just questioning. Yeah, it's almost like masking is the collective ego. When we were talking, I think last season about one ego, like it's like the idea of masking is that and the the small amount of power versus force that i've gotten through the idea of attractor fields and whatnot when you think about say most of society is is wearing a mask people who maybe inherently weren't wearing a mask are going to be sucked into the idea of wearing a mask into the belief that they have to wear a mask in order to fit in when you know, most people when, when large amounts of society are all wearing masks, it's almost impossible when it gets to a certain breaking point to not wear one, or it's at least incredibly difficult. And there's a ton of friction to the point where it's just like, fuck this. I'm just going to throw this mask on and, and be like everyone else. But, you know, as people start taking those masks off, there's also going to be a breaking point. And, you know, eventually enough people, at least in say geographically close proximity, if, if a lot of people start taking their masks off there, it's going to be easier to take their masks off. And as that grows, that is an attractor field as well. And that will lead to more and more masks being taken off. And if there's anything that, you know, is happening with dualistic unity, it's more and more people taking their masks off and what's possible when that starts to reach you know, critical mass sort of numbers is, does that collective ego get a little weaker? And if there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people doing that, that's quite, quite a chink in the collective ego's armor. So it's interesting to, to think of, you know, what's possible with that, you know, as a collective, as well as at an individual level, but 
the aspect of, of someone who, for example, is autistic, who wears a mask and, and understands that that's the root of their suffering. Like that is fascinating to me that, that they're able to see that, recognize that, and then do it anyway, because they would rather almost willingly suffer than stand out when there is such a large amount of basically everyone wearing a mask, but our idea that it's wrong or that there's something wrong with us. We, we were talking about this on the last uh, roundtable episode. The, the idea that something is wrong with us is what leads to our suffering, or at least that is sort of the root is the belief that whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're going through, there's something wrong with that. So the example I used on the episode was that I've been through, you know, social anxiety. And when I was going through it and it was really heavy and, and impactful on my life, I thought there was something wrong with me. And the only thing I ever realized was that there wasn't, there was nothing wrong with any of the feelings that I was experiencing. There was never anything wrong with it, but my belief that there was something wrong with it led to resistance, which led to suffering. And so that pretty much applies to almost any, anything that we experience in life is our resistance to the reality of our experience leads to suffering. The gap between the way things are and the way we think things should be, or the way we think we should be is suffering. So someone who is autistic and, and feels like they need to wear a mask, that gap between the way they are naturally and the way they think they have to be to function in society is always going to be suffering, whether it's a big change or a small change, it's going to impact the amount of suffering that they experience. So in every situation, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, realizing that you don't have to label it as wrong, don't have to label it as bad, don't have to label yourself as wrong or bad, whatever you're going through, realizing that you don't have to label it as bad, let's go of all of that suffering, letting go of the idea that there's anything wrong with what's happening or what you're going through, let's go of the suffering, like significantly reduces the amount of suffering. Because as you let go of that, as you let go of labeling, basically any thought you have as bad, any experience you're going through as bad, as you let go of that label, there isn't anything left to resist. And if there's nothing left to resist, there isn't any suffering left. And, and that's what it comes down to is, is the acceptance of reality versus the resistance to reality. And as long as you're resisting, you will experience suffering. And it's not to say that you should never resist anything. Just know that it'll be difficult to experience a state of peace and, and not suffer as much if you're resisting anything at all that you're going through. So it just comes down to basically not labeling anything as, as wrong or bad. And, and as you let go of those, it doesn't mean that you have to, in external situations, dealing with something like you really don't have to label it as bad to act. You know, you see someone getting bullied. You don't have to be like, Hmm, is this good or bad? Mm, this is bad. Okay. I'm going to go act. It's just like you, you see it and it's seamless. So the labels, whether good or bad, they just take energy away from you and, and inhibit your ability to act in the moment and add suffering to your experience. So labels in any way, shape or form just aren't a necessary part of our reality. No, but they've become habitual. And I mean, that's, that is the one thing to consider, unfortunately, is that as much as you, the listener, have every right to, to be yourself, we are in a world that 
has come out of several hundred years of being super uptight. I mean, that was the whole concept of a suit, right? Is everybody's going to be uniform, right? That was it. Like, this is how you dress, right? Same with, with dresses and, and skirts. This is how long they are, period. Bathing suits, this is it. That's it. And it was, we were always trying to standardize things. And then, and that's changed over time. But still, I mean, you have somebody who's autistic who does fail to mask in a certain situation and they do act authentically. And suddenly they're judged by somebody who doesn't understand their condition or doesn't understand that they're just different than them. Um, that can make it very difficult in the workplace. That can make it very difficult in social circles and, and certain environments. And so this is where it's really important to be patient to some degree because we are changing. We are changing slowly, but you can be a part of that change by finding other people who share the same situation that you're going through or something similar, starting your own businesses, getting out from under the thumb of people who don't understand you. This is how a society changes, but it takes time and it takes effort. And more importantly, it takes a mentality that's willing to try to push out of your comfort zone, to try and reach out to people that maybe you didn't think would want to partner with you or work with you. Just as Sonny was saying in the last episode, right? You might tell yourself, these people won't be there for me, but you don't really know until you ask, right? And then if they say no, there's more people to ask and you don't have to stop. If you want to change your world, you can do that, right? And there are more and more of us that are coming to that realization. And I wanted to touch quickly on the fact that that process of change on a societal level is being rapidly uh, increased by the rise of psychedelics. I had the pleasure of watching the first part of Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind on Netflix over the weekend. Um, specifically, the first part was dealing with LSD, which I thought was really quite interesting. Um, but the argument that he's making is the argument that, that I've been making for, for 20 years that numerous other people have been making that these psychedelics, these quote unquote drugs that have been vilified and separated from society have a fundamental role in our existence. They have forever. And with more documentaries coming out like Fantastic Fungi or How to Change Your Mind, things like that, it's becoming common knowledge that the the mainstream story about these substances is skewed. And it's skewed by capitalism. It's skewed by those in power. It's skewed by those who would prefer we don't align with reality, who would prefer that we don't learn to live in peace because that would again, bring the system as it is to a grinding halt because it very much depends on us being in conflict. Everything about this system depends on us being in conflict. That's what drives the economy. So you can see how there is a vested interest in keeping us egotistical in making sure that we don't see beyond the, this perception of ourselves as a puppet made of meat, that we don't see unity. Yeah. With uh, psychedelics, it's funny. I've been talking to more people in my life about it and just being able to see how obvious it's getting that there are benefits and how like the reasons that they're illegal, you know, like people, people don't always wonder if maybe the reason that the government makes something illegal is not because it's bad for you and me, but because it's bad for them. And maybe because we live in a society that is very capitalistic and therefore inherently very greedy and pursues profit as, as the end all be all desire for everything that we do, essentially, when you have a system that has 
politicians and whatnot making all of the rules. Inevitably, there are going to be rules that are made to benefit them because they see the benefits to them as being the end all be all. They don't see the benefits to everyone and everything. So when it comes to psychedelics, that is very, very threatening to their existence, their idea of themselves and their ability to become richer and richer and richer and richer because many of them have their hands in the pockets of pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceutical companies have the their hands in the pockets of politicians. And that back and forth, the desire for the pharmaceuticals to stick around because that's how they make a lot of their money investing in these companies, having high stakes in these companies. Psychedelics, some people are cured from things that pharmaceuticals rely on this person's entire life to, you know, get them along, kind of like give them a Band-Aid for their whole life. There have been experiences people have had with something like mushrooms, for example, psilocybin, where they're essentially cured in one trip, you know, a three, three, four, five gram trip that costs under 20 bucks, maybe 30, and they're fully cured. That's like tens of thousands of dollars for the pharmaceutical company that they just lost. So when you start to see things in that way and see things a little bit more clearly, it makes sense why these substances have been banned. And I think it's getting to a point where it's almost becoming too obvious. Like they're going to have to come up with some really, really enticing, like anti-psychedelic data. And like, who knows what sort of strings they'll try and pull. Maybe they'll come up with some fake data, some fake reports, like I wouldn't put it past them to do things like that, to try and suppress these and continue to suppress these even more. And it may come to a point where they just can't suppress them any longer and they're just going to tax the shit out of them. So at least they get, you know, a little bit of benefit off of it. But it's, uh, it's fascinating, especially when it comes to psychedelics and this whole conversation, and it's all intertwined with each other. But when you start to see how interconnected all of those decisions really are and see psychedelics not as this thing that you know just makes everyone crazy and makes people jump out of windows and like all this propaganda that they pushed in the 60s and 70s when you see it as a medicine it comes from the fucking earth like weed mushrooms they come out of the earth like we ban things that come out of the earth because they're so threatening to our collective mentality and so threatening to those making the decisions sense of value and worth because it's it is intertwined with their ability to make more money and get more rich because it it is basically goes against or is a direct competitor to all of the pharmaceutical drugs that we that basically long term like kill us in a sense. And whether it's just like mentally, psychologically, or physically at the end of the day, like any pharmaceutical drug you see on, on TV, it's like, this will help with this. And then it lists off for like three minutes at the end, here are all the side effects, but like they say, I'm a little bit more quietly. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's just fascinating to see it. Uh, but it starts to make a lot more sense. And once it starts to make more sense to the majority, I think, things will begin shifting at a, at a more rapid rate. And 
you know, who's to say how long that'll take, but it might be sooner than we think. Yeah. I'd say it's funny, you know, like don't, don't take this perfectly natural thing that people have used for thousands of years. Instead, take this pill that may cause anal leakage. And that's how it goes, right? Because what's happening there is that we have been conditioned or, or we've just kind of learned to trust uh, cert- certifications. We've learned to trust big egos. And so when somebody's like, I'm a professional and they have a white coat, we go, yeah, they're intelligent. But then we see something growing out of a pile of cow shit underneath the tree. We go, well, that can't be intelligent. Right? And what's funny about that is that human beings, I think it's like, 52 or 53% of our DNA is shared with mushrooms. So we're literally like half mushroom ourselves, right? And yet we go out of our way to try and come up with new chemicals and, and all this stuff where nature has, has often willingly provided exactly what we need. You know, it's so funny when you look back at all of our different tribal histories all over the globe, everybody has found a way to hallucinate. Everybody has found a way to basically get to that state so that way they can feel more in alignment. You know, of course, then you have the stoned ape theory that we actually, that's how we evolved was from, you know, our, our primate uh, kin finding mushrooms and eating them on mass as a food source and just spending time tripping and imagining and, and, and developing a sensitivity to the moment. Because often I, I've, I wonder about that because a lot of our abilities in terms of like speech and cognition really come down to our ability to slow down and form a train of thought. Right. And so primates, for example, they're very much like us and they're very slow when you watch them. Right. They're very deliberate in what they're doing, unless they're agitated and upset, uh, obviously. But when they're contemplative, when, when they're, they're sitting there and they're, and they're conducting a test on them, say, like the awareness test where they um, get them to look in a mirror and they put a blue mark on their head to see if they can recognize that it's themselves in the mirror. Right. And apes and apes can do that. They will recognize themselves in the mirror. They'll go, oh, that's me. And they'll go like this. Like, oh, how's that on me? Right. And that, that's very much the awareness test. So there's not a, a lot of difference. Right. Except that we've just developed being in that state. Right. And this is what I was saying when I was watching my daughter grow up and learn how to move her fingers individually. Like, that's cool. That That's a lot of focus. And we take that for granted now. I just flap my hand like it's nothing, right? But it took time to form, form all those synapses. It took time to learn how to do that, right? And so, yeah, it's just coming back down to the present moment where we can connect those synapses. But the faster we go, the faster we learn to go, right? The slower we go, the slower we learn to go, the more sensitivity we learn to have. I think that's such an important part of all of this is that we don't recognize how fast we're going all the time. I was talking to my daughter about this recently, just about the fact that if you watch your brain, it never stops. It's always looking for the next thing to think about, the next problem, the next thing on the checklist, the next thing that's going to happen tomorrow, the last thing that happened two days ago. It's always looking for information to process. Always. And it always will, because that's what the brain does. And again, I'm going to throw that one back to Sunny, because that's exactly what she was saying, right? That the brain thinks that's its function. And until... We identify with the brain, it's not a problem, right? But as soon as we go, oh, I'm thinking, now we're in trouble, right? Now we can judge ourselves based on what we're thinking. And then we judge ourselves based on those judgments. And it just becomes this hole that we get buried at the bottom. of. Yeah, it's like thinking certain thoughts are bad or wrong, as opposed to just seeing it as this sort of 
I don't like saying separate because that's just a perception, but not tying ourselves to it or thinking that there's something we have to do about it. Like we have to, I have to take action. I have to quiet my mind. I have to do these things. Like it's just happening. Just like let it happen and stop judging it so much. Those thoughts that keep coming up that you don't like, you keep labeling them as bad. They're not. You're just perceiving them as bad. They're just a perception. Even the idea that you can comprehend what they are is fascinating. And it's funny how you can only ever comprehend your thoughts in languages that you understand. Like it's in a language that you've learned. So it's not, that is a learned understanding. It's not something that's just objective. Like it's, it's very, very much subjective. So it's interesting just how often we label certain things and certain situations that we're going through as bad or wrong. And it inevitably leads to resistance, which leads to more suffering. And going back to the like natural substances and psychedelics and remedies, I'm curious your take on this, Ray, with, with all the things that we suffer through as humans, both physical and psychological. It's like, I, I think of weed almost as being helpful for the physical suffering and mushrooms being helpful for the psychological suffering. And it's like, we've gotten so far from being able to recognize that those two, that combination can help with so many aspects that we suffer through as human beings. And it's like, they're there to, to help us out, to be like, Hey, you know, you're getting far into this illusion. Like the illusion's cool. Cause it allows you to have this experience, but you know, let's, let's rein it back. Cause there's a lot of suffering going on. And it's like, we've gotten to a point almost where people assume that the human experience is suffering. Like this entire experience is like, Oh, suffering's inevitable. It's just the way it is. Like this life kind of sucks. A lot of times it's like, when did that start? Like, when did we get so caught up that we actually convinced ourselves that this entire experience kind of sucks ass most of the time? Like, that's not how it has to be. That's not how we came into things. It hasn't always been that way. And it, it makes you wonder if maybe our suppression of these substances that come from the fucking earth are leading to that belief, are making us think that, oh my gosh, you know, all this stuff I'm suffering through, I have all these aches and pains and, you know, my mind won't shut up and I'm, you know, depressed and anxious all the time. It's like, maybe they're here to help us out a bit. And so I wonder, you know, with the history of them, obviously we know mushrooms have been around for a very long time, but it's like, do you, do we think that as we, as humans or just existence has gone more down this, this illusion of duality. Do we think that we, these substances have gotten like more and more prominent, like the earth, as, as we go further into the illusion of duality, the earth's like more, 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 you need more. Come on, come on, just take them, just take them. It's like, I wonder if there's some, some correlation there. And it's interesting to think about. I mean, you know, that's one of my favorite things to do is just think about shit like that. But I'm curious if, if there could be some correlation. I, 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 can't imagine that there isn't some correlation being, you know, infinite intelligence as things, you know, the pendulum swings too far one way. It's like, there's something balancing it out. And could it be that with all this psychological suffering, the, you know, mushrooms are, are back to balance it out a bit or with the physical suffering on, on the weed side, you know, maybe, 
it kind of makes sense. I think it's a damn good question. I mean, I think it's very interesting that both acid and psilocybin were quote unquote discovered or, or became mainstream right after World War II. Quite literally, right? Acid with Albert Hoffman, it was right after World War II, he, he found acid. And then shortly after that, uh, it was uh, Maria Sabina down in Mexico who, who was talking about mushrooms and that became a craze as well. And it was huge right after we committed one of the largest atrocities humanity's ever done. And what's funny is that are there suddenly more mushrooms or did we suddenly just become more aware of mushrooms? And this is why it was interesting that I got about halfway through the second part of how to change your mind. And they were talking about Maria Sabina. And it's funny because I, the first time I ever grew mushrooms, I chose a strain that was right from her village. Anyway, um, the point is, is that after they went, oh, well, this species of mushroom is hallucinogenic, psilocybin. Oh, wow. And they sent it to Albert Hoffman and he synthesized it. And they're like, oh, psilocin, this is great. This is a lot like acid. Well, all of a sudden they started finding dozens of other psilocybin mushroom strains that they didn't know existed, but that were everywhere and had been the whole, or had they been humanity just suddenly went, Oh, that's really interesting. But the problem with all of this, whether it be weed or mushrooms or acid or, or, or ayahuasca, it doesn't really matter is that it's not a cure-all. It's not a silver bullet, right? Like if you are at the bottom of a deep, dark hole and you have forgotten how to feel alive, how to feel free of yourself, they will help you. They will take you through that. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be pleasant. And this is something that I really want to stress is that we are not saying they are pleasant. They can be pleasant. You will find moments where they are very pleasant, but you will also find moments where you have to face shit that you didn't know you weren't facing. Or all of a sudden you become aware of a memory that you buried at one point or another and forgot about and it's going to pop up and then you're going to look at it and you're going to have a moment of clarity and you're going to go oh that served a purpose and then you'll be able to rationally let it go because you no longer resist it you're no longer judging it you're no longer identifying with it right but if that's the process we can do that all the time it's just how deep at the bottom of that hole are you because when you are deep at the bottom of that hole yeah, mushrooms will lend a hand. Psychedelics will definitely, you know, show you a way that you maybe don't see anymore, or at least that was the experience that I had, right? But once you've seen it, once you've got your sea legs, once you're like, oh, there's a game and I can recognize it clearly, then you don't need them as much, right? You don't need them at all, but doesn't mean you can't enjoy them, but to keep leaning on them as the source of your insight, to keep leaning on them as the source of your, of your brilliance. Unfortunately, just continues to, re to reinforce the idea that it's not coming from you. Right? And as soon as you let that go, you'll realize the mushrooms never did anything except to allow you to tap into a part of yourself that was there the entire time and always is there. Right now, your brain is taking in billions of bits of information. You are aware of everything that's happening right now. It's just that you're distracted right, by what you think of yourself and the division that you perceive between, between me and you. Right? And that's it. That's the only difference. So psychedelics can help until you see the game and then you have to do the work. Right. And that's, that's where the progress really starts. Right. But we vilify psychedelics and we do so for a very easy to understand reason. When you're sober and you're caught up in the world and you think to yourself, huh, I, I could eat some mushrooms right now. Your immediate 
response is a bit of anxiety. And it's because you're about to let go of the world. That's what it is. You're letting go of the world that you know, because there's nothing like psychedelics, right? Words don't describe the experience that you have. It is such a radical change from what we consider to be reality in our sober, egotistical state of mind, right? And so you can see as our society has gotten more egotistical, that resistance to that mentality, that anxiety at its existence would eventually become laws and those laws would be readily enforced because the system is terrified of us no longer thinking from a place of lack. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. It's funny how there's so many things when you start to see reality, like going back to the initial thing I was talking about with the tapestry, like everything is just a manifestation of a progressive mentality that starts, you know, in, in someone's mind and it sort of spreads from there. And then eventually it gets to a point where it's like made a law. And, and that's just a, a law is just a manifestation of our collective mentality or, or our collective fear because we lack so much faith in ourselves, and, and we have this perception that we aren't whole and complete or we can't handle anything that comes our way. It's like laws and, and rules and commandments and all of it are just manifestations of that fear, like getting expressed in a perceived physical way. And so when it comes to something like psychedelics and mushrooms, like we say it every time we bring it up is that they are not doing the work you are when you're on mushrooms. It's not that you are this different person. It's like, you're closer to who you actually are because you're peeling back all of those layers and all of those beliefs and all of those judgments and thoughts about what you think you are. It just peels them back. So if anything, you're less like perceptually less than the way you are soberly because you have all these ideas about what you think you are. All it does is peel those back. Like if you're an onion with 10 layers, mushrooms just peel back a few of the layers. And if you peel back all the layers, you're able to see things perfectly clearly. And, you know, you, you might be able to argue that if you peel back all the layers, all of a sudden there is no experience of duality. There is no perception of division whatsoever. So it's almost like you get to a point where there is no experience. And so when you watch, uh, we, we talked about this before, but like just, a, an example of this is the movie Lucy. It's portrayed as this movie where over time she's unlocking more and more of her brain capacity. Like there's the idea that we can only use 10% of our brain. And, and so she's just able to use more and more and more. But when I was watching it, I thought about it in a little bit of a different way that it wasn't that she was adding to her brain. She was just peeling back the beliefs of what she thinks she, she thought she was. And as you peel back the beliefs about what you think you are, the bounds to what you are become less and less limited. And all of a sudden you get to a point where, you know, instead of identifying as ending at the skin, you end at the walls in the room. And then you're able to impact all everything within the room. And then you let go of that. And it's like, oh, you can impact everything in the city. And it's just like expands, expands, expands. And it's, it's expressed in a way where she's unlocking more of her brain, but could it be that they're correlated? Could it be that our idea of ourself is limited at about 10% of our brain? I think that's like a myth that's been disproven, but just hypothetically in this situation, like could the idea of ourself be limited to only 10%? And as we let go of that idea 
of ourself, it's like we are unlocking more of our ability. And maybe it's not necessarily like our human brain, but at least awareness itself. And when you recognize that awareness has no bounds, space has no bounds, time has no bounds, eternity. It's like we we limit our perception basically willingly to have this experience. But as we question that, could it be that we can access more, that we can do more, that we have more capabilities than just being able to, you know, make mouth sounds and move our arms and legs? Like, who's to say? Well, I'll say, yeah, absolutely we do. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time. The, the less that you are absorbed in your idea of yourself, the better you are at pretty much everything you try. And it's because you're actually in what you're doing. We discussed this in the Beyond Belief workshop in terms of you know, being in the zone. You're not thinking about yourself in the zone at all, right? You are flowing through that moment in an effortless manner, right? But there is no stopping to go, how do I look? Because then the zone's gone, right? Immediately. And so we see this more and more all the time in terms of, okay, so I made, I made a video recently um, just talking about how Christianity, if you identify as a Christian, you're not experiencing God. And of course, I got a lot of hate for that, a lot of hate. And it was because, of course, they assume I'm just talking about Christianity. And a lot of people said, well, why are you just picking on Christianity? And I said, no, no, identification as a whole, Christianity is just one example. And that's it, because that is the obstacle. It's funny because the devil, you know, often it's, it's referred to as the adversary to God, right? Well, that's exactly what our ego is, right? Like our ego gets in our way of expressing our potential. It gets in the way of us being everything that we already are because we limit ourselves according to this idea. That's all we're doing. And so it's not about ending religion. It's not about taking down Christianity. It's not about, you know, any of this so much as just recognizing that the only true obstacle to us working together and changing the world and living in a more unifying way is identity. It is the illusion that our identity is the truth. That's the only game in town. That's all this is about, right? Which is why when we first started this podcast, I was so very excited by the fact that you got this, Andrew, right away. You're like, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And you were willing to look at it. But most of our society is hell-bent on worshiping identity as the crux of reality. Without identity, I am nothing. Like somehow, if I didn't identify, I would cease to be. But that's really it's all, what it's all about. We tackle identity we come to terms with identity. We stop making it an adversary, right? And we actually make it a tool like it was meant to be, something that we, we are aware of. Everything changes. But, and this is something I want to say because I think it's the problem that happened with the hippie movement. And admittedly, the hippie movement was mostly driven by LSD. So I think that that might've had a bit of an impact because on LSD, it's a psychedelic. You feel really good. Like you see the visuals, you see all that, but it doesn't reduce that sense of your idea of yourself as much, not as much as mushrooms. Mushrooms, mushrooms humble you, but you do feel really good and you do feel very expressive and very loving on LSD, which is why I think the hippie movement was all about love. Right? 
love will change the world. Love will change the world. The problem is that love without clarity is just as damaging. And so my point, and I think the entire purpose of this conversation and, and, and mushrooms and working on meditation or questioning yourself or all of that isn't necessarily to express love, but to embody what love is by clearly being aware of what it's not. And so I think this movement is clarity. I think clarity is the thing that the, the ego or the system that's built by the ego can't, it can't deal with. It can deal with love. It can make you afraid, but clarity fears nothing. And that's where we have our power. Amen. I think along those lines, something that's gotten more and more clear to me as I, you know, trudge through this and it's not to say that it's, uh, not enjoyable. It's just, it's can be turbulent and especially facing the situation that, that we're in it's, there can be a lot of just, I don't even know what the word is, uh, not super happy people that come come at you when you start talking about this stuff. I'll I'll leave it at that. So I think when it comes to to love and love is still an idea, something that you still need, or the idea of love or the concept of love is still something that requires the mind to be able to understand. And coming back to the recognition that concepts are never the truth, ideas are never the truth. Clarity is like what you're seeing things through when you peel back all of the beliefs about what you think things are. And love is still a belief about the way you think things are. So it's still limiting and it's, it doesn't allow you to get to that place of clarity because you're still clinging to an idea. Everything is love. The world is love. We need to love each other more. All of these needs and, and beliefs, and it's still like within that realm very much so. So clarity is what's left when you question everything like is everything love no love is just a concept it differs for everyone it's an idea that everyone has a definite different definition of but clarity is is simply what is left reality is simply what is left the reason for being is simply what is left when you question everything you thought the reason was and so as long as you're settling on a concept like they did in the hippie movement something like love you still have work to do. You still have things to question. And, but that makes people uncomfortable. They can't cling to something like that's what it comes down to is, is they were able to tie their sense of identity to a belief and they were able to come together in love. And like, that was it, but it, and, and as great as that sounds, it is a settling on it. It still gives you something to defend. It still cuts you off from everything else. It's still allows you to perceive yourself as something that's loving and everything else is something that isn't loving or everyone else is something that isn't loving. It still pins you against, you know, the man or politicians or big government or pharmaceutical companies. Like you still aren't seeing the lack of division between any of those things. As long as you cling to the belief that everything is love and light, you know, all of those things, they, they reinforce the sense of division. They reinforce the idea of identity that is the root of the suffering. Like it, it sounds a little better, but it's the same shit that's just packaged in a more loving way, like a, a lighter way, but it's still the devil in disguise. That's it. Like it's still 
that devil, that, that ego, that sense of identity, just packaged in a little bit of a better way. It's still a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's just a, a nicer looking sheep's clothing. Maybe, maybe it makes you feel a little bit better, but it's still a fucking wolf. It's still that disease of identity, that mass state of psychosis that we're all existing in, thinking that we are something separate from anything, thinking we are defined by our past, thinking we are our name, thinking we are nothing outside of, or that we are something outside of everything. Like it's, it's still within that realm. And in order to get past that, you have to let go of even the idea that everything is love and everything is light. Yeah. And it's a hell of a leap, right? Especially considering we're talking about, again, changing our mindset entirely, right? Like, um, so in season two, we had uh, Ariel join us for, I believe it was a round table or, or she was a standalone guest, Ariel here and now on TikTok. And I was watching one of her videos the other day and she was talking about how if we have the ability to have negative beliefs that hold us back, then we are just as able to change those beliefs into positive ones that drive us forward. And I, I had said, yeah, or you can abandon belief entirely and just move, right? And she responded, you know, your ability to live in the groundlessness that of, of non-belief inspires me. And, and I, I wrote back, because it's important that people get this to me. It's important that it's clearly expressed, is that any ability that you can unlock through a positive belief is an ability that you already have. Leap, then you'll know. You don't have to convince yourself. You just have to give yourself the opportunity to see, right? But we try to build ourselves up. Like I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. You can do that, right? But then there's the fear that maybe I can't, maybe I can't. What if somebody says, no, you can't, I disagree with you. And then there's all of this, this ruckus this, this clamor when you could just step forward and find out one step at a time what you're capable of, right? And so that, that's it, but it really does require us to move, not, not just to think more than we've been thinking, but to think in an entirely different way than we've been thinking. It'd be like if I gave you, um, you know, two balls and I said, here, Andrew, juggle these. And so you, you started juggling with your two hands. And then I said, okay, now, take one of your hands and put it behind your back. Well, you would go, okay. And you'd start to try and do what you were doing previously, except faster and with more efficiency, right? Cause that makes sense. But what would you do if I said, okay, now remove the other hand. Your brain would completely short circuit. How do I juggle? And that's what we're talking about is that you have to find another way to see. You have to find another way to think. There's a whole world that you're not interacting with based on the fact that you think you still only can use your hands. That's the leap. And that's why it's so difficult to communicate that thinking about yourself, while it is the entire world that you know, is not actually the world. I like that a lot. That was really cool. One, uh, something kind of similar that I <clears throat> thought of like another sort of analogy that we've used in the past, the idea of train tracks and like, you know, the mentality of identity is on a specific set of train tracks and we go forward and backward based on identity. But what we don't realize is there's another set of tracks and it's right next to it. But thinking of that idea of, of juggling and then taking one hand away and then another hand away. And it's like, well, how the fuck do we do that? And it's like, cause we've never 
thought about the potential of even that being a possibility. It's kind of like being on a set of train tracks and there being clouds on both sides. And so no one's willing to jump because we're like, well, I don't know where that leads to, but we've been on these tracks for so long and we can see that they, these tracks are pretty, pretty fucked. And like, there's a lot of suffering here, but it's like, well, I don't know what, what is on the other side. I don't know what's through these clouds. And we just have to be willing to jump. Like we just have to be willing to find out. And even, I don't know exactly how the best way to say this, but like, even with jumping, it's like, you can go back if you want. Like I wouldn't recommend it, but like a lot of people, and I saw it as I, you know, last year and when the podcast started, like I, there was a number of times where I, I kind of wished I could unsee what I had seen and like kind of wished I had never recognized this when I was going through some stuff and I was like, fuck, it would be kind of a lot easier if I could just go back to not understanding any of this. And like, there were points after I recognized it, after I, you know, quote unquote, woke up where I felt like I, I could have probably turned around. And every time I, there was a couple of times where I contemplated it. I was like, I could go back and, but I didn't. And I think there's a lot of people, there's different levels to it, but there's a lot of different levels that people are able to push and then turn around and come back. And most people, there are doors that open to recognize these types of things. And when they see it, they're like, I'm not so sure what's through that. Close it, turn around, go back. And like, that's super common. So it's not to say that, you know, quote unquote, waking up is just this one thing that happens. It's a number of doors that open and every single moment, it's a decision to go through it. And there are times like there's been times since I did see it where I've gone back into some of some of the other doors and sort of get got caught up in a couple of rooms back as opposed to continuing to push through because it can be scary. It can be uncomfortable to continue pushing through the doors. But as you do, it's like, there's, there's almost checkpoints you get to in a way where it's like this, you know, a couple rooms in a row kind of suck ass. And then you, you keep, but you keep going and you open one. It's like, Oh, and then you let go of like another layer almost. And you, as you keep going, you keep shedding more, but there's some layers that can be very uncomfortable to shed, but it doesn't mean that you're not still making progress and you're not still getting closer to the reality of, of what you actually are and the reality of your potential. And like every door you push through is another layer of your potential, which at the same time is another layer of the idea of what you think you are. That's getting peeled back. It's like they're happening simultaneously. And so many people, they go through, maybe they even just see a door and they're like, Ooh, Nope, I'm good here. And a lot of people get caught up in that positive idea of themselves. And that's still in the first room. They're still in the first room. They haven't even walked through a door yet, but they're so comfortable there. They're like, why would I ever do that? It's like, because you don't recognize that there's there's so much more through those doors. And and the first couple doors get are kind of scary and they get less and less scary the more you go through, at least the overarching like 
set of every five doors. Maybe it gets like a little more scary and then you over get through those. Then it's like less scary. And then it's, it's like a continued process until you've been through like a hundred doors. And it's like, I've been through this so many times, like I can keep going through these and it's, it's cumulative. Like it gets easier and easier and you feel freer and freer the more you go through, but it's just that process. And it's, it's one foot in front of the other. It's one, it's moment to moment. It's a moment to moment letting go. But once you step through that first door, it's difficult to forget what you've seen. And it's not to say that you can't go back, but it's, I don't know, you get to a point where you can never even fathom going back. And I think I know Ray's been there for a while and I'm, I'm pretty much at also, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to keep walking through the doors. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely a point of no return. I, I, in my opinion, anyway, where you've just, you've committed to the embodiment of going through doors for so long that you're just like, I love this. Where's the next door? And, and so then, and, and that's what creates its own force, right? That's where it becomes self-refining is because it's enthusiasm. It's, it's just a way of life. Like you're just seeing the world differently. Right. But I wanted to mention that while you're going through those doors and, and you had mentioned like, I kind of got stuck and, you know, went a few rooms back and do all that. And that's fine. Take your time because you can try to absorb all this at one shot. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up in a fetal position weeping for a little while because there's so much to unpack. And this is why we always say like, you have to, you have to keep it light. You have to know when you're pushing yourself and when the next insight is going to change your whole life. You have to understand that there are pivotal insights where once you have them, your life has to change. So take your time, enjoy the little insights because the big ones you know, require you to change with them. All right, and I'll give you an example. Um, I was living in Calgary. This was back when I was learning Wing Chun for the first time. So this is a, a long time ago. Um, and afterwards, I went on a mushroom trip with another student. And it was a nice trip. You know, did my thing. He was, you know, his mind was blown. He was having all these, these great insights and whatnot. And then at the end of the trip, I went outside and I lit up a cigarette because I was thinking I was still smoking. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, why, why are you doing that? Like, you know, that's not good for you. You know, it's not good for you. I knew it wasn't good for me. My actual conscious thought was, I'm going to tone this down a notch and go and think about my addiction for a bit, right? So that way I'm not quite as aware. And I said as much to him that I'm, I don't think I'm ready to be that aware yet. And it confused the hell out of him. But then I think it was like two years later where I just had to quit because I couldn't, I couldn't avoid the insight anymore. And I was suffering for avoiding that insight, right? And then as soon as I quit, my whole life changed. My business changed. My, my relationships changed. Who I was as a person changed because, of course, that habit wasn't draining my energy, which allowed more potential to come through. So take your time, right? Those insights are there, but you'll know when you're avoiding it. The consequences pile up. You can't keep throwing the snowball up the hill without it, you know, building more snow as it comes back down, right? Like eventually you have to process it and let it move on or it will bury you. Right. And that, that's just something that you're going to discover over time. And the nice thing about being buried, by the way, is that you can always dig yourself out. That's the nice thing about being an eternal being. There's nothing to fear. It's just that how much consequence do you want to go through? Right. It's funny. You had me thinking about something because we were talking about 
you know, sometimes when you're waking up, you kind of want to go back, right? Because the, the, the expression that ignorance is bliss. And I find it really interesting because in the Bible, especially around the Jesus story, there's so much leprosy. Like there's so much leprosy. And leprosy is a really interesting symbolic disease, if you think about it, because what happens is that you, you lose sensitivity uh, in your, your nerve endings and in your, in your skin. And so if you get cut, well, you won't feel that cut fester. You won't feel that cut get infected. And so your, 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 your appendages will start to fall off because they're rotting, but you won't feel the cuts, which is why you don't address them. That's ignorance. It's not that you're not getting cut. It's that you don't feel it and you can't fix it. And so you're just rotting. Damn. That is a very fascinating way of expressing that. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense because it's like knowing and recognizing that identity is the root of our suffering. You can keep doing it, but you're going to keep suffering and keep reinforcing the root of that suffering. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting going through that and even seeing some of the things that for a little while were very difficult for me to go through, like, you know, not naming names at all, but people close to me talking to them about some of this stuff, specifically when it comes to religion made a lot of people very uncomfortable. And I had a situation come up this past week where I was, uh, I was at this event, basically a family friends kind of funeral ceremony. Um, but he had passed away. It's one of my friends from growing up, his dad, and he was an amazing person. And he, so he passed away, uh, last November, he had had he had battled with leukemia back in 2005 and was given like a 10% chance to live and like overcame it, lived another 16 years. So it was like that in itself was sort of miracle and eventually passed um, this past fall. And, and so uh, they just had a very small funeral back in the fall. And then uh, this past week they had like a bunch, like a couple hundred people basically came out. And so they're, they're pretty religious or at least he was. And um some of the family, uh, my good friend, not so much anymore. He actually listens to the podcast. So he knows, he knows who he is. And, and I appreciate you getting to this if, if you've gotten here. Um, but it was interesting because that ceremony was very religious focused. And, um, so my, you know, some people close to me, I'm not going to say names, um, but they, they haven't, they've, they're sort of religious, but not super religious. And I've had a lot of conversations with them and there've been some heated conversations about it. So just keeping that in mind, going back to the ceremony, it was super religious. And there was a dude, um, it wasn't a priest. It wasn't a Catholic ceremony. It was, uh, I don't know, Lutheran or Protestant or something along those lines. So it was like a sort of minister type guy. He just had a suit on. Um, and he gave a speech about, um, the the man our family friend who had passed and it was honestly the most disempowering speech i have ever heard in my entire life like you take a, a motivating speech and flip it and like make it the opposite like that's what it was and basically this dude who had passed was given no credit for anything that he had done the people who had he had touched in his life 
And all of the people who were there, all of his closest friends and family, weren't given any credit for everything they had experienced with him. All the credit was given to God and Jesus. It was like, I was sitting there just like, I was sitting next to my brother and I was just whispering like, that's so wrong, like wrong, wrong, like every couple minutes. And there were some other people who spoke and it was all just like, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. It was like, this dude's not getting any credit for the amazing life he lived as an incredible person. He was incredibly stoic, like cared a lot about other people, like so many amazing things. And it was like, they would say it, but then they'd be like, now, you know, you can't really give him too much credit because it's just God working through him. And it's like, well, yes and no, but it's not that there is something separate from him working through him. It's it's him working through himself. It's it's me working through himself, me as God, him as God, you as God working through that. So that was fucking fascinating. And it was crazy to see because there were a lot of religious people there just kind of like nodding their head in agreement. Like I don't, I was paying very close attention to everything that was being said. And I found that, you know, even here and there, I'll go to mass with, you know, family or, or friends or whatever. And I'll pay much closer attention than I ever did. And I wonder if any of them were actually paying close attention because what I was hearing was ridiculousness. It was, it was absurd. And so I talked to some people close to me, my family afterwards, and I'll just say it. Um, and we were talking at dinner and, and my sister brought up how, you know, she had seen that ceremony in a much different light than she ever had before. And it was a little bit alarming, all of the language that was being used and the expression of, of that. It was, it was very, you know, culty feeling because, because it is culty. And, and they were like, my family was kind of like, Andrew, honestly, we, we appreciate you bringing these things to light, like to our attention. Cause like that ceremony was ridiculous. Like that was absurd. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you. So it was, you know, I've, I've been through some back and forth with, with them about it, but I think things got a little bit clearer with that ceremony because it was like sort of extreme religion um, in, in certain aspects, just in the, in the verbiage they used and whatnot. And I think as people start to see that they're like, Oh, I kind of see the issues with this. I see how incredibly disempowering it is. It, and one of the things he said that stood out was that you can never find peace within. It was something along those lines. You can't find peace within. You need God's love to find peace. You need Jesus's love to find peace. And it's like, holy shit, that's the most disempowering sentence I've ever heard in my life. You can't find peace from within yourself. Like, holy shit. So I was just sitting there. I was trying to, not to make too many faces because I was kind of near. It was like a semicircle. And I know a ton of people there follow me on social media. So they're probably all looking at me like, I wonder how Andrew's reacting like that. So I tried to keep like just a blank face, but I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy. So that was a, that was a fascinating experience. And that was the other thing I wanted to bring up uh, today besides just the recognition of reality being just what is without any perceptions, basically. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Like the intention is nice. 
right? You know, he's part of something larger, blah, 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 blah. But it's all lip service. Like it's, it's all superficial concepts, right? And the problem is that because we perceive each other as separate, because we're so identified and divided, right? There's almost this unconscious um, perception that shifts when someone dies. Oh, he's gone now, right? So it doesn't matter how we address him or think about him. He's gone. He's in heaven. He's good. He's everything's fine. It's like, no, he's still right here in the room. All of us are him, right? But if we're not looking at that, then we've stopped looking at how all of us were impacted by his ripple or how we affected or, or how we impacted him, right? We're, we're cut off from exploring any further because we're just like, no, he was him and I am me and he's in heaven and I can go back to work now. That's pretty much it. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed with it. I don't know if you've ever been to a faith healing. No, I've not. Oh, I, I definitely recommend you attend one of those in person one day, just for the sake of, of getting a good show. Um, it is incredible to watch what people will do to themselves for the sake of validating their belief and having other people validate their belief as well. Right? Like it's, it's all drama. It's all a show. And you can say, well, you know, they're getting something out of it. Yeah, for sure. And placebos are like that. Absolutely. But what's the cost, right? What is the cost of disempowering yourself? What is the cost of needing this so-called priest who's somehow empowered with the body of a fictional Christ, right? Where you are removing yourself from the experience of God each and every time you attach to any of those concepts and more, right? And that's the problem. That, that is the problem is that we are playing, we're, we're playing house. It's all just make-believe until it's actually felt. And I'm going to reference Sunny again, because after the last episode that we had with her, we, during the episode, we were talking about Reiki, the energetic connection to all of reality. And I was saying that as you become more aware of unity, you start to recognize that everything is Reiki. Everything is flow. And you're feeling all of it if you're just aware of it. Well, I dropped that and she went, yeah, that's, that's great. I like that. And then a few days later, she was thinking about it and she made a TikTok. And you could see as she's going through all these moments of just living that she's starting to tear up. She's starting to feel it. And she said, it's tangible when you feel it, right? But that's the point is that it's not make-believe. It's not something you have to try and, and experience. It's not something that you're forming in your mind in order to create that experience. It's the complete cessation of creating anything and allowing yourself to be what you are. And that is very much the difference. And that is how you know the difference between when you're fooling yourself or when you're not. There's effort in fooling yourself, right? It takes a lot of, of, of practice and a lot of attention, right? It takes a lot of, of effort in general to maintain all of the parts of the illusion that you're clinging on to, because it's not just one, right? If you want to believe that you're a good person, then you have to believe all the reasons that you're a good person, which means all of the people who are part of those reasons being a good person, it's all just one big narrative, right? And, and it, it piles onto your experience of the here and now, which is, again, the only real game in town. Our, the depth of our experience in the present moment is the final frontier that humanity has yet to experience or, or has yet to explore. How deep is our connection to reality as reality, right? We're still too busy focused on the trees and we're missing the forest. I'm very curious about that. And 
it's been a lot of fun. It's almost like a process. It's always happening, but it's, it's like every moment there's opportunity for it. When you get your idea of yourself and your perception of the way you think things are out of the way, like there's always in every single moment right now, pause the podcast for a second and just sit and just be aware of reality. And the more often you do that, the more sensitive you get to a point where it's like one of your favorite things to do. Like when I go on walks now, I rarely have headphones and I will most of the time just listen back to the podcast and do the timestamps and stuff. But a lot of times I'm just like, there is nothing better than just being in reality. And even on a plane, you know, that's something that a lot of people are like, oh, I got to fucking fill my head with something on this ride. It's like, this sucks. And, and this was something I actually recognized back a few years ago. Um, when I first started getting into, you know, meditating, I had read the power of now and you know all that, all that good stuff. I, I saw that I'd always lived my life thinking there was a place that I wanted to get and the path there wasn't it. And so it was always like point A to point B and the distance between those was like nothingness. It was just filling time. And I started to realize like, oh, that's no different. It's like when you sort of almost fall in love with, with being, with the appreciation of the experience that you're having, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like anything that you're doing is just layered on top of that reality of being. So that summer, it was summer after I graduated college before I started work, I'd gotten a job, but it didn't start for me until September. And that's when I moved into New York and I had a trip after I graduated and then I got the job in like July. So I had like a month and a half basically where I just didn't really have much going on in my life. And I, I spent every morning meditating. That's when I got into all that stuff. And I got to a point where obviously it can be easier to do this when you have like literally no responsibilities like I did that summer. It's significantly easier, but like it didn't matter what I was doing. Like for so long, I had, this is just an example I think of all the time because uh, my sister was so caught off guard by this. I always hate, hated going to the mall. It was just like, nah, I was like, I avoided that place like the plague. And she asked me one day, like, do you want to come to the mall? And like, especially going to the mall with my sister to like follow her around shopping for women's clothes and whatnot. Like that was on top of my list of last things I ever wanted to do, but it, it literally didn't matter to me what I did because I was there for it in everything that I was doing. And so she asked me one day, do you want to go to the mall? Kind of assuming what I was going to say. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I just went and like, I don't even know if I had my phone with me at the time. It was just like, there was so much peace in what I was doing in the moment that there wasn't anything outside of that, that I needed. And I think at this point, like there was a, there was a time when I started work and I was caught up in like just being present to the point that I would turn my do not disturb on when I was just doing something at my desk. And I was like, Oh, just one thing at a time. That's all I have to do. <laughs> I would get people like come up to me at my desk and be like, Andrew, I messaged you like an hour ago. Like, where are you at? And I started to realize like, oh shit, like I kind of have to like pay attention to more than one thing 
in the workplace. It doesn't really work like that as much. And that took some, some uh, quick learning in and of itself too. So there's a point where, you know, starting with a new thing and getting caught up, caught up in that, I kind of like, I was still meditating and doing all that stuff, but I kind of got away from it in my moment to moment experience. Whereas now it's very much back in that state of like, whatever I'm doing is just something layered on top of my appreciation for just being existence, experiencing itself. And it really doesn't matter. Like I have very little preferences, even something else I notice is like going on a trip or going on vacation versus not being on vacation. Like there's no difference in my experience, in my reality, like dual community podcasts is one of my favorite things to do in my life, filming a video that I based on an idea or an insight that I have. One of my favorite things to do, I can do that anywhere. And even accepting whatever's happening at work and just like accepting it for what it is. Once you let go of your resistance to the experience that you're having, it's almost always that same type of feeling of while it, while it may not be, you know, seem like the most enjoyable thing in the world, you can still tap into that same experience, no matter what you're doing, when you let go of your opinions of what you think it is or what the way you think it should be, or the way you think your life should be. And just that's it. Like that's aligning with the flow of reality. That's being reality is just letting go of your resistance to whatever you're experiencing. And that's it. And it's fucking crazy. And it is a practice, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. And it's probably one of the most powerful things you can ever possibly work on. Oh yeah, for sure. But, and I'm going to reiterate this one more time. It's really difficult to understand that leap from another set from another mindset, right? Like, um, so my TikTok followers are well aware of the fact that I don't believe in anything except, well, I don't believe in anything, period. There's no except there. I just am. That's pretty much it. And, and so somebody had asked me, well, do you find it difficult to feel like you have a purpose given that you have no end result that you're shooting for, that you have no direction? And so I expressed that it's not a purpose so much as each moment is its own priority. Each moment is an opportunity to get more in line with who I am or get more distorted away from who I am, right? To experience more of that consequence and that, that anxiety and that conflict or to experience less of it. But each moment, each thing that happens is an opportunity for me to pick a direction as it were, right? And so like Andrew was just saying, after a while, you really don't have any preferences. And when you do, you notice them as an opportunity to experience something else. Cause you're just like, oh, that's interesting. There's a preference. I'm gonna take that direction instead because you've noticed that it's a habit. And that's the beauty of it is that you're free. Everything is an opportunity for you to see how much you're in your own way, right? So every moment is its own purpose because there's no end result. The moment is the end all and be all of your existence, right? So the more we cultivate that, the more we're in line with that, the more that we are cultivating the whole, our relationship with the moment affects the whole because it is the whole that we are having a relationship to and as. Yeah, it's crazy how intertwined all of this is. And like recognizing that there's nowhere to go. There's nothing more that you want out of anything than the experience that you're having. 
but we are caught up in the belief that there is somewhere to get. There is a place that we need to get to, to become more or achieve more or accomplish more or become something more than what we are. And it's like, when you recognize there isn't anything more than what you are, there are no, there are no bounds to what you are. So you can't possibly become more. All that's left is appreciation for the experience that you're having, or just experience of the experience that you're having. There's nothing outside of that that could possibly be because there's nowhere else to possibly get. But part of the illusion is the belief that there is somewhere else to get. There is more to be, there is more to accomplish or more to do. And we need to do that in order to become more and, and achieve our highest self and, and all this fucking bullshit. And that belief that there is a higher self to get to will keep you from fully experiencing reality because there's always a carrot to get to. And therefore, if there's always a carrot to get to, there's always a stick to run from. They go hand in hand. There isn't just a one side or the other. It's like, but as you let go of that, you let go of, as you let go of the carrot to get to, you let go of the stick to run from. And then you're just there. And there's nothing but the experience that you're having right now. And our mind and our, our intrusive thoughts and our worries and our fears are all manifestations of the belief that there is somewhere to get, that there is something to run from. That's all it is. And so as you let go of those beliefs that there is somewhere to get and there's something to run from, your mind gets quieter. It's a byproduct of the recognition that there isn't anything you could ever possibly become that's more or less than what you are right now. That's all it is. So it's all so fucking intertwined. So now it's like the more clearly I understand this stuff, it, it gets almost harder to give simple answers to a question of like, how do I get rid of intrusive thoughts? It's like, oh, well, there's uh there's layers to this shit. And the the more you let go of the belief about what you are, which is limited and therefore gives you something to strive for the quieter your mind's going to get. But the more you believe that you are inherently something separate from everything, the more you believe that there is somewhere to get and there is somewhere to run from, the louder your mind's going to be because it's always going to be trying to get to that place or run from that place. And that's all it is. So as you let go of that, there's so much depth to this, but your mind inevitably gets quieter. There isn't anything for it to grasp onto when you let go more and more of the idea of yourself, because that's pretty much all the mind ever clings to is, is the belief that because you believe there's somewhere to go and something to run from, it's going to try and help you run from that thing or achieve that thing or get to that place or, or run from that place. That's all it's trying to do is trying to keep you safe because you believe that you aren't already everything. You believe that you are this limited entity. Like it's, perfectly intertwined with that. So letting that idea of yourself go, questioning what you think you are, alleviates a lot of the uh, learned stresses and anxieties and fears and worries that we've come to believe are just a aspect of our reality. Yeah. Well said. It's funny if you're ever dealing with somebody who is suffering from anxiety or suffers from you know intrusive thoughts, they're like, how do I get rid of this? Just ask who? And then they'll tell you who the problem is. They'll tell you the entire narrative that is the source of their anxiety and their worry, right? Because whoever they answer is what they're attached to, which is what's causing that anxiety. 
Right. That's why I enjoy that question. But it's interesting you were talking about our relationship with source. And I'm going to admit that something that happens on TikTok and it makes me a little bit sad sometimes, admittedly, like I get it. It's a step. Sure. Okay. Um, every time I see a video that says, I just got a message from source, as much as the insight is great, as soon as you've done that, as soon as you've said, I and source in a way that's divided, whatever insight you had, you've cut, you've completely destroyed the efficacy of that insight because you're no longer in a state of mind that's responsible enough to absorb it and embody it. You've separated yourself from the insight itself by holding on your, to your identity. There is no source talking to you. It's your insight. The only thing that changes is whether or not you're willing to be responsible for that insight, right? And that's where that cognitive dissonance comes from. If I have a negative perception of myself and suddenly I have a life-changing insight, I'm more than likely not going to want to take credit for that insight because of the idea of myself that I'm holding on to, right? And that's the saddest part about that is that if they could just let go of source, the insight would hit them that much harder. They would actually change that much faster. They would embody the insight that they saw rather than it just becoming a concept and attributed to something external. It hamstrings us each and every time we stop being God. We stop being aware that we are the awareness of the universe. And we talked about this in the Beyond Belief workshop, but each and every person who becomes aware that they are the awareness of the universe changes the entire path of our planet, the entire path of humanity. Every relationship you have changes just because you're no longer afraid of those people, because you don't need anything from those people, because you recognize those people for what they are, that you can empathize with them, rather than just seeing the walls and the divisions that you've, that you've held onto habitually out of some misplaced sense of lack. It changes everything. But this is it. It's moving to a new paradigm. It's not just thinking faster and more like we've been thinking in the past. That is our problem. We have to find a way to juggle with no hands. Yeah. And that idea that you cling to for the false sense of certainty is always, 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 always going to be limiting relative to the reality of what you actually are, relative to infinity, relative to that which has no bounds, relative to the ineffable. That is what you are as God. And yeah, it's like, <laughs> this is the aspect that sometimes I, I get frustrated by and I try and let go of very quickly is when you start to see things like this and people are defending their suffering. It's like, you don't have to do that. Like you're limiting yourself so much. And even the belief of what you think you are as someone who is suffering is the thing that's maintaining that suffering. That's what's keeping the suffering around. And so you can question that because the only one who ever holds on to the idea that you're something or someone that suffers is you. And we bring that idea that we are something that's suffering into every single thing that we experience. And it makes sense because it reinforces the belief that the ego is something that is actually real. Like that's what it stems from. It feels good to our ego because it allows us to perceive ourselves as something 
more than someone else, even if it's something that's suffering more, it's still something that's more than others. And that's what it comes down to. And it's, it's a difficult conversation to have because it isn't well-received almost ever by anyone, but it's because we believe that we are that idea. We believe that we are the ego. And it's not to say ego is a bad thing ever. It's not something that you're going to kill, but it is something that you can let go and something you can question and something you, you can recognize isn't the truth of what you are, but you have to be willing to let go of the idea that you're more than anything else. Even if it's the idea that you're suffering more than anything else, it's still a belief that you're more. Well said. It's so funny, right? Like, so I think it was the Buddha who said, if I knew um, the power of giving, I would have started doing it so much earlier. And the problem with that is that from a, a mentality that's egotistical, giving does very little good, right? Because it all just becomes self-defining. But when you no longer need, giving is just the natural result, right? It's not even giving so much as just, I, I don't need this. I need to pass it to someone else, right? And, and, and that's the point. It's kind of like the difference between gratitude and appreciation, right? Gratitude is an action. Appreciation is a state of clarity, right? Or at least you can look at it that way if you'd like to. I, I know they're just words, but you can look at, at the intentions differently. Gratitude tends to be, you know, what am I grateful for as opposed, as opposed to a moment of appreciation based on just recognizing how everything is added to your existence, how everything is, is perfectly in place for you to do something else. It's always just dependent on the avenues that you see, which is always dependent on how much you limit yourself and the narrative that you're telling yourself, right? So yeah, it's, it's super interesting. So before we wrap up this episode, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad that we had an opportunity to do this. I know we have a lot of guests lined up through season three, but we do try to have these conversations intermittently between them. We have group chat. So if anybody would like to join us, please do so on Patreon. Uh, we have, I think, four group chats a month on there. I, no, five. Five now, I believe, because now we have a group chat every second Saturday at noon Eastern time, which is ideal for our fans that are overseas. Uh, it's a great time to chat with us. So definitely look that up on Patreon. Another thing to consider is that for $5 a month, you get all of the access to all of our videos. You get uh, access to our thoughts and Andrew's ebook and a bunch of other stuff. But what you're also doing is you're investing in the ripple that dualistic unity is trying to embody. Sure, you're giving us $5, but we're using that $5 in whatever creative and imaginative way, imaginative way that we can in order to just keep promoting this conversation because the conversation is the point. Andrew and I are not the point. That's the beautiful part about this is that if dualistic unity were to end today, each and every person who's been listening to it is dualistic unity. They will continue on. The ripples will continue and it will never stop. So we're going to keep doing this regardless. But if you can spare that five bucks a month, we will do something good with it. And we will continue to do something good with it. And just know that it is appreciated. Uh, and if you can't, no problem. Join us on Discord nonetheless, because we are at 397 members. As of today, we're three members away from, from 400. As, uh, the same as on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube, because we're almost at 2,000 subscribers. Dualistic unity is expanding by leaps and bounds. We've had several days this week with over a thousand podcast plays, not even counting YouTube and the other platforms. Everybody who's a part of this, you, the listener, we're doing this together. This is really happening. This conversation is actually spreading 
in a way that we're not being judged for being crazy because it is the most sane conversation that's happening at the moment in our species. Everybody else is playing pretend. And we're talking about the fact that this game has a consequence and that it's it's getting late, as we've said before. So I just wanted to say thank you again to everybody. I do hope that you'll join us on Patreon and Discord. I'm also going to mention one more time because it's exciting. We are in the People's Choice Podcast Awards this year. So if you have an opportunity, go to dualisticunity.com. The information is at the top of the page. Just click the button. Nomination takes about five minutes. It's totally free. You can nominate Dualistic Unity for the People's Choice Award or the Religion and Spirituality Award. Um, we don't know how many votes we've had so far. We know quite a few people have, have gone and voted for us, and we were, are very grateful for that. But if you can do so, that's fantastic. And then we'll get the results, I think, in September. Yeah, that would be greatly appreciated uh, to take a little bit of time to do that because that would be pretty cool to, to be in the running for something like that. That would be awesome. And yeah, you know, it's funny just thinking about this podcast and how we really just do it to have the conversation. It's just us. We'd be saying the same exact stuff, whether this was recording right now or not. It would just be a conversation that Ray and I were having, but we're very appreciative that we have people who are listening and who want to be in the thick of it with us because I agree. I couldn't agree more that this is the most sane conversation being had in reality right now. And yet it's perceived as this crazy thing. And it's funny, like even I have a couple different group chats with different groups of friends. Like sometimes people say stuff about my content or like whatever. And they'll say, you know, something along the lines, even recently it was, we were talking about, uh, I forget exactly what we were talking about, but it was, it was something about how, oh, that person doesn't exist. Only the perception of them exists. Right, Andrew. And like in my head, I was like, yeah, it almost like, I almost laugh thinking about how that is being perceived as something that's crazy. Like, oh, it's only the perception of them. And the only thing that exists is right now. Like, ha, ha, ha. It's like, yeah. Do you understand what you're saying? Like, no shit. It's all like, have you ever experienced anything outside of right now? Like, no, of course not. Like, is that person actually real? Like, define them for me. Define them. And don't use their past and see how well that goes over for you. But it's funny to see it. And like, I just kind of laugh. And even going back to thinking about that uh, Chump Change podcast, like with how, how tough that was going back and forth and trying to get through some of these very basic insights and how difficult it was for them to, to even grasp onto the recognition that right now is, is all there is. And, you know, they don't actually exist or I don't exist in the way that we think we do. Like, it logically makes sense when you're able to get your individual perceptions out of the way, the things that you believe in, the things that only really exist inside of your mind. When you're able to peel those back, this conversation makes a hell of a lot of sense. But until you do that, until you're willing to question some of the things you hold on to for that false sense of certainty, it's not going to make as much sense. And you know what? That's okay. You know, we're, we're just here having the conversation. If you're able to and willing to question along with us and understand anything that we talk about, like good on you, that's all you, because 
we're just out here talking about stuff. So if you understand it, if you're able to comprehend it, like that's all you, that has nothing to do with us. Like give yourself a pat on the back because there are a lot of people who have incredibly visceral reactions to, I would argue the most logical conversation that's happening in this day and age. And I've always been a very logical person. And when I came across this stuff, it just logically makes a lot of sense. Like it's the only thing that makes actual logical sense, but we're caught up in the belief that concepts are the truth, that this illusion is the truth of what we are, that we are what we think we are. So as you go beyond that, that stuff just doesn't really make any sense at all anymore. So long story short, I appreciate you very much for, for sticking through it, especially if you're all caught up on the episodes, like that's fucking awesome. Cause I'm honestly kind of surprised anytime someone says like, Oh, I've, you know, listened to a few episodes or 10 episodes or 15 episodes. I'm like, Holy shit. Good for you. That's, that's awesome. Cause it's, it's not a super well-received conversation in this day and age, although it is the most logical conversation that you can ever have. <laughs> you have to be a warrior to really take this conversation, right? Because if you're not willing to question what you, what you rely on for certainty, you're not going to be willing to have this conversation. If you're not willing to be wrong, you're not willing to move on to the next understanding, right? Like that's the whole problem. And that's all we're ever facing is just, I'm afraid of letting go of the world that I think I live in. I'm afraid of letting go of what I think is because I've adapted an idea of what I have to do within that idea. And that gives me a sense of certainty. And that's pretty much it. And so all we're doing is saying, yeah, but that certainty that you're grasping for is kind of the reason that you're so pissed off at me right now. Right. Like really, that's really all it is. And so we need to find a, a new paradigm of sanity. We have to find a new paradigm of reality. We need to discuss the fact that the fiction in our head has been distracting us from what we can actually do. And then as we do that, we'll see what we're capable of, right? As for dualistic unity, I'm so pumped that this even exists. And admittedly, when I think back to when I was in my deep, dark depression at the bottom of that hole, had I run across dualistic unity, I would have just absorbed this. I would have just day to day listened to it over and over again, because I'm not going to lie. This is what I was doing when I was crawling out of my hole. This conversation is what helped me get out of my hole, except that it was happening in my head over top of all of the habitual doubts and narrative, right? Because that's how you get out of the hole. You stop listening to the habits and you start speaking as source, right? Because you get to call the shots here and now about what your relationship with yourself is. And that's what this is all about. So on that note, we're going to wrap up episode four here. If you have not already bought your ticket to the November retreat, I cannot recommend more that you do so. If you're on this episode and you've been on the journey with us this long, you want to be at this retreat. It's so worth it. If you can stay the whole eight days, great. If you can't and you have to leave a day or two early, that's fine. Um, the prices are incredibly reasonable. All you have to do is go to dualisticunity.com check it out in events, or you can check it out in the store and the tickets are available online for the next several months. So uh, there are a limited number of tickets remaining and we will be asking everybody about their food preferences because of course we do have to communicate that to our chef in the next month or so. So if you're going to get your tickets, get them soon. And if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to contact us through Discord. 
Absolutely. Don't miss out on that. The first ever dualist community retreat, the first of many, there will be more to come, but yeah, this one, this one will be a fun one. The inaugural retreat. I'm incredibly excited for it. And yeah, it's going to be a, I don't even know. I have no expectations of it whatsoever. I just know it's going to be fucking epic basically. Cause who's to say what will be possible even just in that week with a bunch of people together who know that they're God, that they are each other and any division we perceive is merely conceptual. Absolutely. And I'm not surprised that we have no expectations because admittedly, and we say this in our episodes, we say this in our workshops, we say this in our live shows, we never have a plan. Like we start every episode and every workshop with just some vague idea where we want to start. And then it adapts from there. It evolves as it goes along. And so that's the point of dualistic unity is embodying that mentality. So why wouldn't we use it with all of our content? It feels weird to try and plan an episode. Admittedly, like I'll, I'll make little notes about things I find interesting, but half of those notes I don't even cover while we're on an episode. Sometimes they lay dormant for months, right? And then they pop up in like a different season entirely. It's just all flow because that's what we want you to do. We want you to flow, to be yourself, to feel free because that's what this is all about. So we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for joining us. We will, of course, see you next week. If you can join us on Wednesday for the Patreon groups, we'd love to see you there as well. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.